So we're looking at the season of Lent. It begins tonight, 22nd of February. It ends on April the uh, 8th, because the 9th is Resurrection Sunday, or Pesach. We don't call it by that other name. What's that other name? We don't call it by that. <laughs> and why don't we use that other name? Unbelievably, most people don't realize it's pagan in origin. It's such an offense to God. And most Goyim who go home from their Easter Sunday service, what do they have for dinner? A ham. Aive, Yismir, Lord, beat me up. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's laughable, but it's also sad, too. The massive ignorance to the understanding of the Israelogy of the, the, the Jewishness of our faith. We've been looking at the book of Acts. We've been in chapter 2. And what happened in chapter 2? The Holy Spirit, the, the Numa Hagiosune, came upon the believers then. And how many were there? 120. And who were they? They were Jews. The text tells us they were Jews, devout men of every nation. But they were Jews. So what was birthed on that day? Messianic Judaism. You see, you Gentiles, you don't get it yet. You don't. You think it's all about you. It's about Jesus and his people, Israel. You understand that? Apart from Jesus, the other apple of his eye is Israel. Now, we've been fortunate and privileged to be grafted in. In. But let me tell you something. You know, it's amazing how many people are ignorant of the fact that what was birthed on Pentecost was Messianic Judaism. 120 Jews, devout Jews, went all over the world describing that Jesus is now the answer of our prayers. He's the Mashiach Nagi. He's the Messiah, the King. That was the message. Not, oh, by the way, the church has been birthed. No, they didn't even know about the church at that point, did they? No. The word ecclesia wasn't even used at that point. It's amazing. Now, now, this season of Lent, I believe it has its origin, although I've not been able to make a direct connection. Uh, you like that song, It Is Well? Yeah. Who wrote that? Horatio Spafford. What's it all about? He lost his, his wife and his children were crossing the Atlantic after he had been involved in a series of weeks of meetings with, with Moody, and he was exhausted, and he said, I'm going to catch up with you later. We need a much-needed respite. Uh, but when she got to England, she wired him, and she said, saved alone. All of his children died. And so when he got to that very spot, as he was transgressing the Atlantic, the ship's captain told him, this is the spot. And then God gave him an inspiration for the song, the words, it is well. Now, you won't find any direct link to the scripture where I think he got the song. Where do I think he got the song? The Shunammite woman who lost her son. And as he was dead, collapsed dead in the field working with his dad, she had servants bring him and put him on the prophet's bed, saddled the donkey, and she made her way to the prophet. 
And as the prophet saw her coming, he sent his servant, Gehazi, I find out why the woman is here. The Lord hasn't told me. Isn't it amazing? The Lord didn't tell him something. I'm amazed when the Lord tells me something. He was amazed when the Lord didn't tell him. That's how close his connection was. But what was her continued response? It is well. Her son lied dead on the prophet's bed. It is well. Now, I personally believe that's where he got the inspiration of the words that he penned for that song, It Is Well. But you'll not find any record of that, nor will you find any record that the season of Lent or Advent really come from an ancient, ancient Judas, ancient Hebraism practice called Teshuva. Now, I've taught you about that. You know what Teshuva is, right? Teshuva is the 40 days that the Jews would spend in preparation, in repentance, and in prayer, leading up to what day? Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement wasn't a feast day, was it? It wasn't a party. No, it was, it was a solemn day. It was a day in which they spent the 40 previous days in repentance and in prayer, asking God that he would kofar, that he would cover their sin. And the last 10 days, the last 10 days of that period of repentance and prayer, of penance, what was that called? The days of awe. The last 10 days leading up to Yom Kippur, the, day of atonement, the days of awe. So the Jews would make that practice at 40 days before the day of atonement, the most holy day in all of Israel. They would begin to turn. Their, that's what teshuva means. Teshuva simply means to turn to the Lord. The whole book of Jeremiah could be summed up. Return unto me, the Lord crying out. Return to me. And so we have these wonderful practices, disciplines, traditions within the church, throughout church history of Advent, leading up to the four weeks, leading up to the celebration of the Incarnation, Christmas. Now, was he born in December, on December 25th? No, 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 no. Where was it? When was he born? He was born in the fall. Now, we can calculate the approximate birth of the Messiah based upon the birth of his cousin, John the Baptist, who was six months older than he was. So Jesus was born probably somewhere around September, October. You know, people are completely unaware of that truth. And I believe he was born on a feast day because God declares, and we're reading through them. You're reading through the Bible in the year? Did you get through Leviticus yet? Aren't you glad when you get through Leviticus? <laughs> But as we got into chapter 23, once again, I explained all of this to Gail. You know, and it's so enlightening. It's so amazing that, that the, God says, these are my appointments. This is my daytimer. This is my calendar. I'm going to open it up. I'm showing up. What about you? In Luke 19, you have the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And he, and he holds them accountable for not knowing the specific day in which he would come because he foretold that through the prophet Daniel, through the feast days. And he said, if you had only known, you, Israel, this thy day that makes for your peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. Do you know how much of the truth of the gospel is hidden from the eyes of most of the Gentile church because they don't, because they, they're so anti-Semitic? Anti-Semitism in the church is swelling. And it's so it's so. So I, I think there's a connection between the ancient practice in ancient Hebraism, Judaism, of teshuva, and when the discipline that was in the church, this church tradition of Advent leading up to Christmas, and then Lent, the 40 days of 
repentance and prayer and fasting leading up to the celebration of Pesach. It is not Easter! <laughs> Do you know what offense that's got to be to God? That you're calling Pesach. What's Pesach? Passover. Jesus was the Passover. John the Baptist in baptizing on the Jordan said, Behold the Pesach of God. No one would have understood a thing that he was saying on the Jordan that day except Jews. The Gentiles wouldn't. Pesach, Pesach, what is he talking about? Pesach. He said, Behold, now Pesach is the term for either the lamb that is sacrificed or the festival, the holiday of Passover. Paul later, when making all the connections, connecting all the dots, and it's amazing how ignorant most are of the writings of Paul. He said, Christ, our Pesach, our Passover. So have some fun. Enlighten some people. For the next 46 days, we can be talking to people about the celebration of Passover, Pesach, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Passover Lamb of God. Now, we say it's 40 days, right? Because there's 46 days between now and the Sunday, the Saturday before Resurrection Sunday, or Pesach. But there are six Sundays in there. There's one Sunday left here in the month of February, four Sundays in March, and again, one more Sunday in April before we celebrate the Resurrection. So the six Sundays are free days. Why do I get so excited about that? Because whatever it is I give up for Lent to remind me of how weak my flesh really is without his empowering. Whatever I give up during uh, this period, I can, I'm free to enjoy whatever that might be on Sunday. Hmm? Now, not only should you be encouraged to give something up during this time, but you also, I want to encourage you to add something spiritual, some some new or different or may extended spiritual discipline into your life that will draw you closer to the Lord. The whole purpose for this period is to shuba, to return unto the Lord. The saddest thing in the Bible is where Jesus records for us in Matthew where he said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? And what's he going to say to them? I never knew you. Ah, yeah, yeah, you knew, you knew a lot about the Bible. You didn't know me, the God of the Bible. We, we didn't have communion. We, did, we didn't have this, this relationship, this intercourse. The strongest relationship in this life is between a man and a woman, between a, a husband and a wife, right? One biological man and one biological woman committing themselves to each other till death do them part for the glory of God. That, that's the highest relationship of life. It won't be with your babies. I'm sorry, Gloria. It's not with the babies. It's with your hubby. And, and God says, when the two of you come together in his mathematics, one plus one equals one. One plus one equals one. Now, I've shared this before. This is stated four times in the Bible, once before the fall, three times after the fall. The last time it's stated, it's stated in Ephesians, and it said this is a great mysterion of which I speak concerning Jesus and his church. How, how is the church one with Jesus? Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. How are you and John made one? 
through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in each of you comes together in this wonderful blessed communion called matrimony marriage that God instituted. And you become one. Right? Now, that, that intimacy, that, that, the, the lowest display of that oneness is what we would call the physical consummation or intercourse, right? But that intercourse is the elementary, is the most primitive way of expressing the intercourse that God desires to have with us, his children, where he desires to press his life into mine, his Holy Spirit into my life. The highest meaning. You understand? And he will say to many in that day, we, we, we never had that communion. We never had that. We never had that yada. Abraham, yada, Sarah, and she conceived. We're called to yada, the Lord, to have this blessed communion. Now, these 40 days, you, you, can, you can enter into that communion. And I strongly encourage you to do that. You know, I've been, I've been trying to, to display for you what I do on a regular basis on Sunday nights as we just sit quiet before the Lord and just experience the Lord and just, just, just focus on the Lord. My wife, believe it or not, Christy, Gail would be completely content if from now until the Lord returns, I get up in the morning and have tea with her and we sit on the couch and do nothing but talk to one another. <laughs> you know, she'd be happy with that, right? And I sit there so nervous and jittery because I got work to do. God made me to work, you know? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus loves nothing more than when all we want to do is spend time with him. The greatest purpose for which you have, have, he's gave you life is that you would know him and serve him. Is that right? No, no. The, the highest purpose and intent for which God has given you life is to know him and to enjoy him forever. There's no ministry in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, it'll all be over. I won't have to do this anymore. I just, I just have the wonderful opportunity. Just enjoy the Lord. Now, that, that's what this period is really supposed to be doing, encouraging you, exciting you, and enticing you to really just spend time enjoying the Lord more setting aside some period of time, disciplining your flesh to put something away, but encouraging your spirit by adding something. You understand? We, we talked about Pentecost, and we talked about on Pentecost, the Jews, they don't call it Pentecost, do they? What do they call it? Shavuot. Shavuot. Feast of weeks or the Feast of Revelation. Revelation, why? What are they commemorating? The day that Moses received the law, on that day, on Shavuot, he received the law, the Feast of Revelation. They received the law. Here it is, Ten Commandments, on stone, do it. What's the problem? You can't. You can't. Why? It's, it's all external. Just do it. Okay? You know? You never tell me you love me. I told you when we got married, if anything changes, you'll be the first to know. Okay, I got to tell you every day, I love you, honey. She's watching. <laughs> but Pentecost, entirely different. The law wasn't written on tablets of stone. It wasn't thrown at them to go ahead and do it in the energy of their own flesh and their own strength and their own self-discipline and determination. No, now where is it written? On your hearts. It's internal. Internal. 
So don't think for one moment that as you get into this practice of Advent and Lent and you go through these spiritual disciplines that you obligate God to do anything. No, no, no. What it is is you're showing your love. Love is not emotion. Love is... Do you understand that? Love is not emotion. Love is devotion. And you're showing your devotion. Well, uh, the term Lent comes from an old English word. Old English was uh, spoken around 500 to 1100 and lectin. But then in Middle English, remember Middle English period? Sure you do, don't you? Yeah, Darren does. He was born in England. That was from uh, around 1100 to 1500. It's uh, Lenti, Lenti. But we know it as Lent. And both terms, Old English, Middle English, mean springtime. Because Lent occurs in the spring. Hmm. It's quite fitting that Passover's in the spring. Pesach. Why would that be so fitting? Hmm? It's new life. New life, new opportunity, new creation. You know, <clears throat> we never had the seasons. Nobody's got a home tonight, do you? Let's, let's have an all-night service. What do you think? Before the flood, there were no seasons, right? We didn't have seasons before the flood. After the flood, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely... Oh, boy. So every time I go to a funeral, every time I attend a funeral, every time I preside over a funeral, it just, it just validates that the word of God is true. A hundred out of a hundred? A thousand out of a thousand? A million out of a million? Die. Everyone dies. But I am just so thankful for the seasons of life. You know? I say that the spring, spring is from the time you're born, Nolan is in spring, right? Springtime. From the time you're born till about 20 years of age. And then from spring you go to summer. And summer's about 21 to 40. Isn't summer beautiful? Hmm? But you know my favorite time of year? Autumn. Autumn, the fall. And fall is about 41 to 60. 60. And then you go from fall to winter. Hmm. I'm in winter. I, I, I really enjoyed spring, but I really, really, really enjoyed the fall. That's when I came to know him. But now I'm in winter, and winter is from 61 to, well, you know, dash, you know. I already got my stone. My name's already on it. My birthday's on it. It's got a dash, and it doesn't have the other date yet, but it's, it's coming. It's coming, right? But after that, what happened? I go, listen to me. I go into an eternal spring. Passover is in the spring of the year. It's, it's quite obvious why Jesus would occur and have his resurrection and have a new life occur in the spring of the year. So that's simply what Lent means. Lent means spring, okay? And so today is the first day of Lent. It's a 40-day period. Right now we have 46 days between now and the celebration of the resurrection, or Pesach, right? And that'll be on April the 8th. So there are 40 days where you can practice this spiritual discipline, and, and you want to be drawing close to the Lord. So you want to... You Show your devotion to him, and then just, just, just take something that maybe you enjoy a little too much and say, well, you know, I want to enjoy you more than I enjoy ice cream. <laughs> or, Lord, I want to enjoy studying more than I enjoy 
pastries. <laughs> I'm just revealing some of my issues, okay? <laughs> but at the same time, I want to add a discipline. And maybe, maybe you want to consider during this next 40 days, study through a specific book. One of the 66 books of the Bible that maybe you've never studied through before. And, and really take your time and meditate through it. Chew it. Chew it well. You know, one of the things that we were doing while Christina was here, I bought her a set of commentaries, uh, simple commentaries, one that I started with when I first got saved, Dallas Theological Commentaries, Bible Knowledge, two-volume set, Old Testament, New Testament. And, and I said, now you get these commentaries, I had them shipped to her house, and I said, but when you come, I'm going to sit down with you, and we're going to go through the Gospel of John, and I'm going to teach you how to study, how to self-feed, how to know where the, what the truth really is. Hmm? And so we had a glorious time. She said, wow, my goodness, you know, we spent all morning, and we covered three verses. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You have forever. <laughs> Who's in a hurry? Who's in a hurry? But, but you really want to, to be able to know the Lord. And I know the Lord through his word. This is the word of God that introduces me to the God of the word. And so as the word begins to speak to my heart and my mind, and, my, and then I fall more in love with him. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So that's what I want to encourage you to do. Now, also associated with Lent is this period of repentance or penance. Penance is simply uh, confessing your sin, being repentive. Now, you have things to confess, don't you? Every single one of us. There's no doubt. Listen, there's not a one of us that can go through one 24-hour period and say, I've done Always those things that please the Lord. Even if you didn't get out of bed, you can't say that, right? So we, listen, every one of us has something we need to repent of, show our regret and our sorrow over. And it's not so much about my actions, not so much about what I've done. It's not even about what I thought. It's about who I am, who I am. And I'm so glad I'm not going to stay like this forever. I'm so glad that one day I'm in this process of what we call uh, sanctification. You know, the, the soteria? Soteria is the Greek word for salvation. Salvation is a big term, and it's an umbrella term. Within that term of soteria, salvation, is your justification, right? Justification, Jesus looks upon you. He looks down the table, and he sees Jonathan, not Mephibosheth. You know that story, Right? Yeah, he looks upon you just as if you've never sinned. He doesn't look down upon your sin. He looks down in you, Christine. What's he see? Jesus. Justified. Justified. It's a, it's a forensic term. It's a legal term where he just declares you just righteous. Are you righteous? No. In Christ you are, but you ain't right. I'm not. No. no. Now we're going through this, this middle period of what we call soteria salvation where I'm being sanctified. Now, Justification, you're declared righteous. Sanctification is the process by which the Holy Spirit is making me righteous. Every day, every week, every month, every year that goes by, I should be becoming more and more Christ-like, more and more godly man. Now, no one, make no mistake about this, no one, and I mean no one, stays in a suspended or an arrested state of spiritual development. You're either going forward or you're going, and you want to make sure you're not going back, Okay. 
Then, lastly, in this umbrella term called salvation, soteria, justification, sanctification. Oh, Lord, do it, Lord, do it. <laughs> ultimately, I will ultimately one day, and so will you be in a state of righteousness. I'll be holy writ. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Holy writ. Holy writ. Now, do you, you understand this? The Bible teaches this. Your justification, you're declared righteous. Sanctification, you're becoming righteous. Glorification, you will be righteous. I ain't there yet. So because I'm not there yet, I need to repent. Let me tell you what I did today. No, I'm not going to tell you. How's that? <laughs> You know me too well, Pat. <laughs> so along with the repentance that they would, they would display, they would use ashes. Now, I grew up in Romanism, in Catholicism, and so every Nash, Ash Wednesday, you know, we went down to the church and we got a cross put on our forehead with the ashes from the palms of the previous uh, Easter Sunday, that's what they called it, right? So they would take the palms from Easter Sunday that were left over, they didn't give all to, all to the congregants, the, petitioner, the parishioners, and they would burn them, and then we'd take the ashes from those, and they would... What did that do for me other than give me a dirty forehead? <laughs> that's all it did. Why? Because there, I, there was no heart in that. I had no understanding of what really was going on. It was just a, it was a rote religious ceremony exercise that I participated in that meant absolutely nothing. And religionists all over the world participate in these rote religious ceremonies and exercises that mean absolutely nothing. Why? Because the heart's not in it. But when your heart is in it, do you remember when you first got saved? How meaningful Christmas became? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> You know, and, and it hasn't changed, has it? It's still so wonderful and so meaningful and so touches your heart and your life. It's become real. And now when you engage in those disciplines, traditions of the church, they become so much more rich and meaningful. Like communion. I go to confession on Saturday night. He says, that are you again, young Barrielli? I recognize that voice. You'll never get out of here tonight. You know how many Our Fathers and Hail Marys? You know how many candles you need to light, boy? And it meant nothing. You know, I, I, I was supposed to go do that, right? And do you think I told him everything? No. If I told him everything, I'd be in jail. You know? No. And then I'd go to Mass, and I'd take communion, transubstantiation. What did I believe was happening? Hocus pocus. Well, there's a Latin phrase that they use when they, when they perform the Eucharistic miracle. When they actually take the wine and the host, the bread, and they turn it into his blood and his body. They believe they actually do that. You know, and he prays in Latin. He says, May the devil take you and the Lord save me. <laughs> no, that's not what he said. We used to joke around like, Oh, I was, a, I was a rascal. But it, it, and then I thought, I'm clean. I'm covered. Hey, I can go do my dirty all week. As long as I make it to confession Saturday night, 
do my thing on Sunday morning, safe. Right? How many believe that? That's the best deal in town. Oh, indulgences? Wow! What were indulgences? You, you pay for your sin before you committed it. Yeah, listen, here, here's, here's what I'm intending to do, okay? How many Our Fathers? How many Hail Marys? How many candles do I need to light? And, th and then you go guilt-free into your sin. How horrible is that? Let's, let's start way back when they were building Peter's Basilica, right? The moment the coin in the kettle rings, your loved one from purgatory springs. You don't want to leave them in purgatory, do you? Then give generously. Let me hear those coins ringing and all of those souls and spirits springing. There are people who believe that nonsense, that craziness. But that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these wonderful, rich traditions within the church. Now, the purpose for ashes was to display your regret, your sorrow, your grief, your penance, your repentance. The oldest book in the Bible, where's that? Job. Job. Turn with me to Job. Job chapter 42. If you're not aware of that, Job is the oldest book of the Bible. <clears throat> chapter 42. Job chapter 42. Job's not making a lot of false accusations about God, but God puts up with it for a while. He does with us too, doesn't he? But then in verse 4 of chapter 42, he says, Listen, please, and let me speak. And, and, and you said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. And then Job responds, I, I, I have heard. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Oh, but now my eye sees you. Lord, have mercy upon me. What did Peter do when he recognized who Jesus really was? Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. What happens when you really become exposed to the beauty, the holiness, the righteousness of God? Depart from me, Lord. Look what he says in verse 6. Therefore I abhor myself. Do, do you hate who you are? You know, you, you, you're not in the first place base in repentance until you really hate who you are. The only thing I can offer God is my sin. I have no righteousness of my own that I can offer him. I beg for his righteousness to be imparted into my heart and life. What are the only things man made in heaven? What are they? The holes in his hands and his feet. The slice in his side. That's the only thing that's man made in heaven. It's the only thing I have to offer him is my, my regret, my repentance, my sin, and say, Lord, forgive me, Lord. Job got it. Therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in what? Dust and ashes. Yehoshua, uh, who's that? Joshua. That's also the name for who? Jesus. Jesus' Hebrew name is Yehoshua. Yehovah Shua. Yehoshua, Yeshua, right? Yeshua is the shorter version. If you're from New York like I am, and you, somebody asks you a question, you're going to answer in the affirmative. What do you say? Yeshua. Huh? Yeshua. Okay, go to Joshua, Yeshua, chapter 7. Joshua, chapter 7. 
after Deuteronomy, the second law in Joshua chapter 7. Now, what happened in chapter 7, contextually? They went against Ai. Now, Joshua made a huge mistake, which a lot of people do. He underestimated the enemy, overestimated himself, and he didn't look to the Lord. Hey, this is a no-brainer. I got it. You ever say that? <laughs> That's exactly what you're doing. Underestimating the situation and your enemy, overestimating your own ability, and you're not looking to God. And so as a consequence, they were defeated at Ai. And then, and then Joshua had to stand there with all these body bags in front of him of his fallen comrades. And he recognized his sin. Chapter 7, verse 6. Is that where we want to go? Yes, it is. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust upon their heads. And he sat in dust and ashes over his repentance. Go to Psalm 102. As Alistair Begg would say, Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 102. Verse 8, my enemies reproach me all day long. Those who deride me swear an oath against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of your indignation and your wrath. For you have lifted me up and cast me away. He's speaking of the judgment that came upon him because of his sin and his transgression against the Lord. And now he's sitting in dust and in ashes, weeping and mourning. This was very characteristic Repentance was always associated with dust and ashes. Ashes showing from dust we have come into dust shall we turn. Dust to ashes. Our mortality, our weakness, our frailty. The best of men? Simply men at best. That's all we are. Why a 40-day period? 40 years in the wilderness. One, there were four men in the Bible that fasted for 40 days. Jesus? Who? Jesus, Moses. Jesus, Moses. Jesus, Moses, Elijah. Joshua. Yeshua. 40 days. Now, Moses did go with the people of Israel 40 days into the wilderness wandering, 40 years. But Moses went up on the Sinai for 40 days without eating. Go with me to Exodus chapter 34. How long have... Uh, 
Any of you fasted? What's the longest period you've ever fasted? Anybody? 18 hours. 18 hours? Okay. Five days? Three days? Four days? Ten days. Ten? You fasted for ten days, Carolyn? You're the winner. I fasted for five. That's as long as I could go. And I broke down. How many? Ten days? Now, was that a water fast or a complete fast or what was it, a liquid fast? It was what? Juice fast. What is that? Oh, a juice. You drank juice. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about how long do you fast with nothing but water? Five days. Five days. Is that what you did, Carolyn? Ten days, nothing but water? I just drank milkshakes. <laughs> I, I, I did a 40-day fast with nothing but milkshakes. No. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. no. Listen, you can't, you, it, it takes a supernatural power to do a fast with nothing but water. But that's what happened to these men. Moses being the first. Look at the, chapter 34, verse 28. So he was there with the Lord 40 days, 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. That was Moses, right? Who else did we say fasted for 40 days? Joshua, his assistant. Now, how do we know that? Because he was the one on the mountain with Moses. You'll see that in chapter 24, verse 18. But go to chapter 32. Exodus 32. Now we know what happened. Israel's obedience to the Lord was very short-lived. And then while Moses was up on the mountain, he didn't eat, he didn't drink, but he spent that communion with the Lord, and the Lord supernaturally had provided for him, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider, right? They came down from the mountain, and the children of Israel are sinning, doing exactly what they should have never done, and worshiping false gods, other gods, but it was demonic. And they got to the bottom of the hill, and Moses said, Aaron, you idiot! What did you do? And what did Aaron say? I didn't do, I didn't do nothing. The people made me do it. And I, I took the gold and I threw it in the fire. Now, can the calf, you believe it? <laughs> you believe it? Time plus matter plus chance. Wow. Here comes that cow. <laughs> Aaron, you idiot. <laughs> That's what people believe in evolution today, right? Time plus matter plus chance equals you? No. Impossible. Impossible. <laughs> Chapter 32, verse, go to verse um, 14. So the Lord relented from the harm which he had said he would do to this people. Because Moses interceded, right? And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. And the tablets were written both on both sides, and on the one side and on the other were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved upon the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as a sound of noise, right? He said there was war in the camp. Now, that's indicative of the fact that where was Joshua? He was up on the mountain with Moses. He was the only one that went up with Moses. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights as well. He fasted. Elijah, go to 1 Kings 19. I'm just pointing out to you where this 40 days comes from, right? And it's got a biblical precedent. 
1 Kings 19, Elijah. But it was a supernatural empowerment. Now we know that Elijah was running from Jezebel, right? There's a Jezebel spirit alive and well in the world today, for sure. As the uh, demonic spirits of Baal, Mashtrith, Molech, Nemash. But as he was running for fear for his life, he thought God had forsaken him. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Verse 7, an angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. God's got a plan for you, but he's going to supernaturally empower you. And so he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So we see that Elijah. So we had Moses, Joshua, Elijah. Now who else fasted for 40 days? Jesus, supernatural fast. Hmm, I'm sorry, it's 8.30. Man, it's so much I wanted to share with you in this temptation that was so meaningful. Can we pick it up next Wednesday? We'll just pause on Ezekiel, our study through Ezekiel for one more week. And I want you to read the temptation, but I don't want you to just read it recreationally. The first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4, I want you to study the temptation of Christ and how it would be applied to our desire to pray and fast. This, this wonderful spiritual discipline that has been a rich tradition in the church for almost 2,000 years, but, but if you go back to the practice of teshuva, it predates Christianity by hundreds of years, thousands. My motivation tonight is simply to encourage you to experience Jesus through the person of his Holy Spirit in ways that you never have before. There is an experience God wants you to have with him that he wants to have with you that you've never known. You agree? You think that's true? Many of you think that's true? Yeah. It's one thing to know him here. Lots of people know him here. Do you really know him here? In the soul? in the depth, in the core of your being, do you know that you can trust him no matter what? And you can trust him with the prescribed suffering that God has for you. Now, that's, that's what I want you to understand when you, when you go through the temptation. He didn't, he didn't play the, the God card. He didn't use his divinity to defeat Satan. Satan came to him in his humanity and tempted him, and he was tempted in every way that you and I are, but he was without sin. Not tempted, excuse me. That's not the right word, because the divine cannot be tempted by sin, but he was tested. Tested. And James says, when we are tested, blessed are you when you go through that testing successfully. When you trust the Lord to be your provider. When you're not tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, which so many succumb to so easily.
but you can gain strength, spiritual strength, as you purpose to go through these disciplines with the Lord. Moses didn't do that on his own. Joshua did it. Elijah didn't do that on his own. And Jesus was showing us in his humanity how we can successfully go through the testings, the trials, the sufferings of this life. Should I not drink this cup that the Father has purposed for me? Should I shortchange the Lord and all that he desires to do through this suffering by taking care of my creature comforts? Playing the victim card? You understand what I'm saying? We'll talk more about that next week. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. David, do you have a closing song? Shall we stand?